that night I said, God, I am done chasing the things that's been on my heart. I've been chasing success, fame, financial security. But from now on, I want to be chasing that which is in your heart. And I'm convinced that all that's in your heart is people. People from all of the world. Many of them who have never heard your name even once. So God, I want to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to redeem my time. So God, here's a surrendered life. Would you rewrite the story of my life? My name is Sujo John, and I am second. Let me remind you of the questions he asked very early in the video. God, what is my purpose? Is it about success or fame? Or is it something more? Something more. For Sujo John, God orchestrated the events of his life in a dramatic fashion, revealing to him with vivid clarity that life is about far more than making a great name for oneself and the accumulation of stuff. Through nearly losing his life, the life of his wife and the life of his unborn child, he was taught by God that life is about something more. For most of us here today, our story is not nearly as dramatic. However, the question is just as palpable. Is this it? Is there something more than this? From now to New Year's Eve, we're going to be addressing that question through a variety of angles. Prior to moving into this particular room, we had a building over on Black Road. At the front of the stage, there were, there were these tall walls on either side. They were tan, and they were crying out for decoration. They were a blank canvas just waiting to be filled. I forget what year it was, but we, like many churches, joined a, in a churchwide study called The Purpose Driven Life, a study designed around a book by the same name written by Rick Warren. You may have heard of it. The opening sentence of the book is compelling and it's convicting. It's not about you. It's not about you! Exclamation point. He goes on to say, the purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. The answer to Soto John's question, God, what is my purpose is it about success or fame or is it something more? The answer to the universal human question, is there something more, is yes. The yes is that you were made by God's purpose and for God's purpose. And so as we start this series, as we started that series together, we paraphrase the opening line and we put it up on our front wall. 
Now, rather than being quite so accusatory, it's not about you and having that stare at us every Sunday. We, we changed it a little bit. We owned it as a reality of the human condition. It's not about me. It's not about me. That was the mid-2000s, and I've got to admit, the level of narcissism, self-centeredness, and egomania in the American culture has compounded exponentially since then. Few in American culture think about the person behind them or before them or to either side of them. We think in terms of our freedoms and our rights, not in terms of the preciousness and beauty of others. We tend not to think beyond us. And yet the entirety of the gospel message is a beyond us message. Personal rights and grabbing mine are foreign to the ways and to the teachings of Jesus. And so this fall, we just want to turn back to that fundamental mentality of value our church has chosen and embraced as one of our written core values. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about others. It's beyond us. I'm grateful to you for the way we structure summers here. Generally in the summer, you, you hear a little bit less of me on Sunday mornings. It gets me a chance to get out of the grind of churning out that weekly creation we call a sermon. It gives me a chance to shut up and listen. That's not to say I don't listen during the year. But the rhythm of production does not allow for the ground to lay fallow and dormant. The mind and soul need seasons to just shut down and be quiet. To just listen. Some of my listening was done on my own behalf for the sake of my own soul. And some was done on our behalf for the sake of the collective soul of our church family. My mind was pressed back early in the summer toward the realities of late summer and early fall. The time we're in now. When stakes would go into the ground, earth would start to move so that parking could, appear, could be added and dedicated space for our church family to celebrate life and play hard could appear. Well, it's upon us. This coming week, you should start to see the beginnings of activity that will change the face of our land and transform the functional soul of our family. <coughs> now, when we took on this project, we made a commitment. It was similar to the commitment we made when we built the room we're sitting in today. A vote to build was not just an agreement to build something shiny and new and fun. It was a commitment to put our full support behind the project. We refused to simply push the cost of the project off on our kids or, or cross our fingers in hopes of future growth. We said, if we say yes to building, we're saying yes to sacrifice as well. So as we move into fall, we're going to give answer to the question that many of you asked me personally. What's, what's the plan for funding this project? The, re, the, the reality that I was confronting this summer took me to a place in Scripture that we spent some time in just last fall. We spent last fall studying the life of King David. He is truly one of my favorite men in the Bible. God calls him a man after his own heart. Yet he is a man who is deeply flawed, who sinned in a manner that most people would find absolutely unforgivable. I think I like David because his story is written with the pen of gritty reality. It is not sanitized. It is not cleaned up. 
It is not censored for publication in the most important and most valuable religious book ever to be written. No, we get all the junk. We get a life that looks a lot like ours. No veneer of piety. We get the dirt and the grime, the filthy hands that are trying to write on the white pages of a book without leaving a smudge, realizing in our filth that it is not possible to do so. The hinge point of David's story in my mind comes in Psalm 51. This is the moment that David can breathe in the word, forgiven. He just takes it in, forgiven. (coughs) And the rest of his life is lived from that place. Not a place of perfection. Not a place of moral superiority. But from a place of realizing that his hands were dirty and they needed to be washed by God himself if they were ever to be clean again. It is when we grasp the reality of forgiveness, when we embrace its full scope, that the words finally ring true. It's not about me. And the rest of life is lived knowing that we were made by God's purpose and for God's purpose. Now, we understand that David's dirty hands prevented him from taking on the project for which he believed he was created. This man who wrote the Jewish hymnal, you find it, I mean, if you take your Bible and open it, dead open, in the center, you'll find the Jewish hymnal, the book of Psalms. He dreamed of building a house for God where those words could be sung and spoken again and again and again. Let's walk through this part of his story. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, King David takes on bringing the Ark of the Covenant, this holy object, this most sacred symbol of God's presence, to its new home in the capital city, the new capital city of Jerusalem. They had tried previously to bring the Ark home, but had run into obstacles. This time they were going to get it right. Once it was home, David sets his heart on a much greater aspiration. It would be his crowning achievement. His, his magnum opus, his tour de force, he longed to build a temple for the living God and a place that the Ark of the Covenant could sit. In chapter 17, he makes a, a declaration to Nathan the prophet. He said, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the Ark of the Lord's Covenant is out there under a tent. Implication, it's time for the Ark to have a nice house too. And it's time for God to have a nice house too. Nathan consents, saying, do whatever you have in mind. God is with you. Now that same night, Nathan, God spoke to Nathan, who in turn had to relay a message to David from God. And we find the beginning of the message in verses 4 to 6 of 1 Chronicles 17. It's interesting. God basically begins by saying, I never asked for a house. I don't need a house. I don't need a, I don't need a permanent home to put the ark. I'm good. I never ask. In all the time we're in the wilderness, I've been content to live in a tent. And he goes on to say, the only one building a house here is me. I'm building your home, David. I'm building your dynasty, which will last forever. And then in chapter 17, starting in verse 10, he goes on to say, you need to relay this to David. A temple will be built, but it will not be built with your hands. 
It'll be built with an, by another. It will be built by a member of your dynasty, by a member of your family, but it will not be built by you. He says, when you die, your son will be the one who will build my house, who will build my temple. No reason for David not being able to build the temple is given in this passage. But we know from later texts that David understood from God that he had dirty hands. He had been a man of war. God wanted Solomon, a man of peace, to be the one to build the temple. Now we're going to dig into this more, but, but let me just pause here. I paused when I read this again last summer. Have you ever wanted to do something really generous for someone else? I mean, you just you felt moved to do something incredibly generous, only to have them refuse it. I mean, you had in mind to do something kind and good, and they just said, no thanks, don't want it. In our less mature, less godly moments, having someone refuse our generosity does not elicit the most noble response. Okay, I won't speak for you. Let me speak for me. When, when the best version of me is not at play and someone refuses my generosity, I say inside, not out loud, of course. I'm too polite and too chicken to say it out loud. I say inside, fine, have it your way. Go, I'll go help someone else, you ingrate. You know, boom, there. How's that? You know what's funny? David doesn't have kind of a petulant response. In fact, as you go into chapter 17, the publisher entitles the next section, David's Prayer of Thanks. David's Prayer of Thanks. He starts the prayer by saying, Who am I, O Lord? And a little later he says, There is no one like you, God. Sounds like David has learned to live by the theme, It's not about me. He teaches us a couple lessons about living beyond us. First, we don't decide how to help out God. We, we don't determine how to help out God. God is the one who guides our generosity. Too often, our generosity is not about true giving. It's about being in control. But a generous person, a truly generous person, not only holds their resources loosely, they hold their agenda loosely as well. The only agenda that matters to them is God's agenda. This whole generosity thing is part of the same lesson that God has been trying to teach us since we were two years old. He keeps saying, loosen your grip. Let go of control. Stop believing you're God. You're not. Let go of control. When we are being truly generous, we're, we're not living, when we're not being truly generous, we're not living beyond us if we're the ones calling the shots. As the story progresses, we come to chapter 21. In chapter 21, David has to wash his dirty hands once again because he's committed a grave sin. This was the sin of, of counting the people, of taking a sentence. And to atone for his sin, he needed to make a sacrifice. An angel instructs him to build an altar at the top of a mountain, land owned by a man named Arauna, who's not even a Jew, he's a Jebusite. David offers to pay for the land. And Arauna, being a generous man himself, just offers the land to David. In fact, look at the verse. It says, Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish. I'll give you oxen for burning offerings, and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar, and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all to you. I mean, David's response isn't, Wow, that's really cool. I was expecting to put that money toward this. Now I can put it toward something else. No. 
David responds with this timeless principle every Christ follower needs to claim who wants to live a lifestyle of generosity. Look at, in verse, in verse 24, he says, I insist on buying it for the full price I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. He says, how can I give to the Lord that which has cost me nothing? If it costs me nothing, I cannot really call it giving. And so he buys the land. At the beginning of chapter 22, we read this. David said this, this threshing floor, this place where this sacrifice has been made, This will be the location for the temple of the Lord God and the place of of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. David had purchased from Arana the temple mount, the future location of God's temple. This then gets us to the heart of today's lesson and we'll continue to unfold it next week. When God told David in chapter 17, not you, but your son, your son will be the one to build, David didn't pout and move on. No way. David demonstrated what it means to live selflessly, to love generously, and to live beyond us. Despite the fact that he would never worship in that temple. Despite the fact that he would never even set eyes on it despite the fact that he would not be attending a a dedication ceremony or would be the one to turn the first shovel of dirt or would lay the first brick, despite this, he put his shoulder wholeheartedly behind seeing the next generation succeed. He cared so much about God having a house that would honor his name and cared so much about seeing his son succeed in the task that he devoted the final chapter of his life to making preparations for what he would never see or he would never experience. Look at verse 5 of chapter 22. It says, My son Solomon is, is still young, young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. And the passage ends by saying, so David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. His final season of life was spent planning for a life that would go on beyond him. In fact, that would go on without him. It is this message that God brought home to me in the silence this summer. The project we will soon undertake involves additional parking for people not here yet. And space that will primarily be used for children and students and people who like to play. It'll be used for young families and growing ministries. You see, some of us, we could look at this and we could say, I don't really need this. I mean, if I get here early enough, I get my parking spot. I'm good. Why? I don't need to do this. My kids, they're grown, they're going, they're gone. That space is not primarily for me. I may give a buck but I'm not putting my shoulder behind something that is not going to directly benefit me on a weekly basis. You see, a spirit of generosity is never looking for direct personal benefit. This kind of person sees bigger. They aim higher. They choose to live beyond us. You know why I'm behind this? I'm behind this not because of what I'll get out of it, but because of what those here after me will get out of it. 
I'm living out this season of my life to ensure, as much as I can, the success of the next generation of Southfielders. I've been here 22 years this summer. I'm realistic enough to know that I probably won't serve another 22, at least in this capacity, okay? That will put me at 76. I'm sure it would lead to some interesting sermons and and would be quite entertaining. But yeah, let's be real. I have less years ahead of me than behind me. You know the best thing I could do for me right now? Put the car in neutral and coast. Just enjoy the ride because it's been a good ride. I could just enjoy the ride. But how can I? Since my earliest days at this church, I had a goal. I did not know how long I would be here. But when it was time, I wanted the next guy to be in a better spot than I was when I showed up here. It's that old value. Leave it better than you found it. I want to see the next generation of Southfielders poised for an absolute explosion of God's goodness. And I want to, like David, put my shoulder behind that which may never benefit me directly. I want to set up our next generation of leaders to absolutely soar. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll lay out our approach for funding this phase. And it all starts with this. Beyond us. We need to live beyond us. It's not about me. It's about God and his purposes. And it's, it's about them. It's about these kids that sit on the front row all the time. It's about setting up a next generation to do a great work for God beyond us. And what's interesting is it'll be beyond us, but not necessarily without us. I can't help but think of Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer lays out this beautiful picture. He says, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The writer draws a picture of a cheering section at a race. This is so fitting for Southfield. We're kind of cross-country obsessed around here. We have a lot of kids in our church that are involved in in cross-country and junior high and high school, and they do very well at it. On the weekends, they're racing, and people here from here are cheering. And throughout the week, throughout the year, they're conditioning without the cheers. You see, this place, this place is an accumulation of every saint who ever, ever, throughout this history, put a behind-us shoulder behind this great work. Beyond us. Beyond us, but never without us. From the stands of heaven, we will cheer. And before heaven, we will put our our life's effort toward making sure that we live for those beyond us. All of this, as I said, points back to Psalm 51 and to David's realization of that word, forgiven. It is Jesus who said, those who have been forgiven little, love little. And those who have been forgiven much, love much. It's not so much that many of us have not been forgiven much, but it's how much we realize we've been forgiven or not forgiven. And so as we approach communion this morning, at the tables on the side as well as the back, we'll be listening to a song that talks about being forgiven. If we're to live a beyond us mentality, it begins with this. It begins by realizing that our hands have been washed 
by God. I had the privilege of doing a lot of things as a, as a parent of a young child growing up. And one of my favorites was coming up behind them at the sink and taking their dirty hands and washing them with the soap. It's the coolest feeling in all the world. God does that for us. He reaches his hand around and he washes our hands so that we can experience forgiveness. So today as you come to the communion table, I hope once again that you will experience fully the forgiveness God has given you. Our servers are going to be headed forward here in a moment to collect the offering. <clears throat> As they do, um, let me go ahead and highlight a couple of things for you uh, found on the sheet that you received as you walked in today. We've already, at the beginning of the service, given you an idea of the, the faces and the people that are involved in leading groups. The season for registering for groups is quickly coming to a close. We do like to take advantage of uh, technology for signing up for groups, so you're able to go to our church website, find a group link, and you can sign up right there. Having said that, I know still for some, uh, that is not the most comfortable way to figure out. You spend a lot of time roving the web and, and getting lost and looking for directions. And so if you need some help, you're free to go ahead and um, head to the welcome desk today. And you have people there who would be more than willing to walk you through the process of getting registered for a group. You saw it's a very, very healthy list of groups. I, there are two that are highlighted in, um, on your sheet today, and I, I really want to take a moment to address both of them. One of them is the, the grief support group that we offer. This has been a, an incredibly powerful group over the last few years as Terry has led it. We do use the grief share curriculum. It's kind of uh, popular out there, but honestly, what we have found through the years of doing this is that what is needed even more than sitting and watching a curriculum and somebody teaching is just the opportunity to sometimes to talk, to tell the story of what's happening in a person's life. And, you know, there's something about grief generally that people are, they're there at the funeral, they may be there for a short time, but eventually we do kind of develop a mentality of what you mean, you haven't moved on yet? Come on, let's go. And the fact of the matter is when grief is deep, we don't move on. We learn a new way of living. This is the kind of group that will help you to do that. So it may be that you've experienced loss or you know someone else that has experienced loss. And by the way, it may not be a loss in the last week or month. It may be that it's been going on for several years now of living in grief and you just feel stuck in that grief or you know someone that's stuck in that grief. One of the things that you could do that would be incredible is to offer to come along with that person. We've had others in the past who have said, I'll come sit with you. I'll come sit with you literally in the ashes of your grief and help you through. So check that one out. And the other one that, that is really just incredibly powerful is the, the Boundaries Journey Group. Some of you have taken this already, but I think a, part of the issue that we deal with in our relationships is that we don't have healthy boundaries sometimes. We don't know how to say no. We don't know when to say yes. And so to have someone in your life basically guiding you through, coaching you through a little bit of when it's okay to say no or how to go about saying a yes that's healthy can be really powerful. So one of the things we're stressing with this particular group this year around is for those that have taken foundations over the last few years, this is a great next step. It kind of fine-tunes some of the things that we've learned along the way. Again, that group is for men and women combined, so... Uh, those two groups in particular, we just wanted to lay them out there, highlight them for you. There's one other highlight reel we want you to see today. 
And that's the baptism video from last week. This was, talk about living beyond us. This is the moment to go ahead and enjoy uh, the ways in which we get to do something uh, as, that's truly a living out of God's purposes for us as individuals and his purposes for us as a church. So uh, join in this celebration and watch uh, what happened last week. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You're hidden. If you were there, the little guy at the end, 
he kept, he's coming out of the water and he just kept saying, I'm alive, I'm alive. And, you know, people thought, wow, he spiritually gets it. You know, this is amazing. No, he was afraid going in the water that he was going to die. And it, you know what? That's just incredible. He said, I'm following Jesus anyway. I wonder, you know, how can he do that? The powerful name of Jesus. And that's the name you take with you this week. Let's stand up. As you walk out of this place, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what the junk is. I don't know what the hardship is. Or maybe it's just going to be a week of rainbows and sunshine. Who knows? But whatever it is, you walk out of here in the name and under the power of Jesus Christ. Live beyond us. Live beyond us. He lived for us so that we can live beyond ourselves. Let's do it to the glory of God. Enjoy your week. We'll see you.